Throughout history, wells have been these central fixtures in communities where people gathered not just to draw life-giving water, but to build relationships and build their communities. Throughout my life, wells have been this symbolic measure too of tenacity, a promise, and this hope that I might have something I can share with someone else that is helpful. The well here on Wednesdays is offering cup-filling stories for human resources. Whether it's innovation, bravery, creativity, I invite you to join me. I'm Danielle Houston. Pull up a chair, be part of this community, whether you're listening to someone else's story or sharing one of your own. I am so excited to introduce all of you to my guest today. If you don't already know her, I would be surprised. I would consider her an HR pro, kind of a staple here in the Northwest. Her name is Vivian Page. She spent 23 years with Talking Rain. She is a strategist. I would also call her a change maker one who isn't afraid to take on a unique vision and then figure out how to get from the place that she is to the place where her vision takes her. Vivian, welcome and tell our listeners just a little bit about who you are and what your background is. Well, hi, Danielle. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm good. Excited to have you. I, um, like you said, I have I was with Talking Rain for 23 years. I left in December of 2020. And uh, during the time there, I had um, an amazing run at an ex at creating an experience with an organization that was very entrepreneurial at the beginning and continued to be entrepreneurial as it grew. You know, we went from 45 employees when I started and I used to uh, call our production facility duct tape and bell wire and uh, ended up as an amazing, sophisticated, um, technically inclined organization that even though it was in the CPG industry, uh, the culture and uh, the processes and everything that goes into manufacturing, um, you know, kind of have the same look as technology companies do in the Northwest. We made it to fit in uh, within the market that we are in. So my first question for you is, what are you most passionate about in your work? You know, it it has evolved over the years, right? When, as I said, I started with Talking Rain when they had 45 employees. And at that time, I was just getting things to run and run correctly without major issues. And as we um, acquire capital, you know, started to create formality in the organization. It was kind of setting processes. Once you had that, then what is the next step, right? Realizing the, I guess, the thing that I'm most passionate about it is looking at what is the next step in life, what's coming that you can prepare for. And with that, you know, my, I, I ended up discovering what I think is my passion, purpose, meaning in life, and that is self-development. I studied what was effective, uh, what was working well. And as we implemented processes at Talking Rain, we eliminated quickly things that were not working well. We eliminated things that were being done just to be done. 
And I'll remind you of a word that uh, was, you know, gave shivers to everyone every year, performance appraisals, right? I, I eliminated performance appraisals back in 2009. It was a process that did not deliver, you know, positivity to anyone involved. And so that created, it started to create a, a sense of thinking of why do we do this? And I, are we doing it just because every company um, does it or every HR program out there tells you that it needs to be done? And is it providing a result that is beneficial to the company and the employee, right? And so, you know, that began to open the door to learn a little bit more about what would be effective. And sometimes you don't find it right away because we're so used to doing what other companies have done or what an institution says things must be done this way. And the fortunate part with working with a small company is you could just do things and test them without creating, you know, a huge upset, right? And so in 2010, I replaced performance appraisals, which were done once a year. Uh, with a process called KOEs, Key Objectives and Expectations, to be done every trimester and be driven by the employee. Because that was another situation, you know, the poor manager was kind of, if you recall, you know, tense at the end of the year having to type five performance appraisals or depending on how many direct reports and what were you going to say and how are you not going to be repetitive? And instead of simply making it, here is your goal, here is my goal that I want to work on, if you're self-led, and do you agree? And if we agree, we can move on. And so the process went from, you know, very lengthy hour or two to 15 to 20-minute process every three months and created much clarity for the employees and expectations, right? This is what I have to do. And that leads to engagement. You know, we have this misconception that engagement is, can the employer offer us uh, pancakes and, you know, M&Ms all day, or, you know, as you know, talking rain beverages all throughout the day. Um, and yes, that's a, a big part of having a great environment. But the reality is all of us want to know what we have to do for the day, have clarity and deliver on that, right? There's a joy on delivering what you said to do. And, and if you get to set it yourself, it's even better. Yes. I really love this idea too of being brave enough to really ask the question of, does the process really serve a good purpose is it really something that is meaningful and valuable? And if it's not, then also being brave enough to cut it out and try something else. The project that we're going to talk about quite a bit today is an initiative that you drove. And I think you used the phrase a couple of times, bleeding edge, right? It was so visionary and so new that, you know, it, it was taking a risk and knowing that there were probably going to be some bumps and bruises along the way. But, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to keep calling it visionary because I really find it fascinating. And I would really like for you to tell our listeners to what sparked the interest for this project and the passion for self-development that 
that we're going to talk about and you know, your passion birthed something totally new in your workplace at that time. So what what can you share with us? I think it's several fold. You know, I already had the mindset that self-development had to be part of life. It was part of my life since I was very little. Uh, my sister, who was, you know, uh, five years older than me, was going to uh, university in psychology when, uh, <laughs> you know, when I was a teenager and was constantly talking to my mom about her, you know, projects that she was working on. And I was always listening around. I got very curious at the time. She, I think part of her assignments was to read the uh, seven habits of highly effective people. And that was one of the things that stuck with me, right? Um, you know, be proactive, begin uh, with the end in mind kind of thing. And so that, you know, sparkled a lot of um, intentional research and what it takes to get to the next level and what it takes to get to the next level. And not that there is any levels, the reality at the end of the day is what is the self-discovery and how does our ego um, keep us from achieving, you know, our real self. That actually uh, came to my life through a tragedy, right? I had some level of base. Um, unfortunately, tra you know, tragedies happen and sometimes you could, I don't know that anyone is ready for a tragedy, but you know, you could have the tools to um, deal with a, a tragedy like we are doing right now with the pandemic, right? Some of us yes. have more tools than others. During this tragedy, I did not have the tools and it was very impactful um, for my family. You know, it was in fact impactful um, in, I think it affected all the areas of my life. And in going to therapy, which I was very lucky to have at the time, very lucky to have insurance that covered it at the time, I realized that there could be many, many things that you can avoid if you simply had these tools, right? And I, it, I really got curious as to why we not have the tools, why are they not readily available for you uh, to learn? This should be concepts that we should be teaching in high schools for us to kind of have better life. You know, at, at the time, also Talking Rain was at a, at a point of growth you know we were surpassing the 200 employee mark uh we we needed to start implementing learning and development you know strong learning and development courses and processes and deliver the next um, group of leaders for the organization and the the key word back then was hypos you know uh how are you treating your hypos are you giving your hypos the tools and I started to see the pattern in observing who the hypo is, right? The hypo is typically the person that gets along with the vice president of the president and they get a whole bunch of feedback and, and uh, mentoring and coaching when the average people do not. So clearly that creates a um, a standard of, you know, we coach people that look like us and then all of a sudden your company looks just you know, the same. And so I decided to uh, alter the dynamic in there and rather than create a hypo program, um, although I did start with some hypos, I took kind of hypos from all the departments, but I also mixed them with all the other people just to see what made the difference. Why are you hypo and why are you not, right? right. And the realization is, you know, 
maybe the hypo people just simply had more advantages ahead of others, but everyone had the same capabilities. You just had to open their eyes to those capabilities or to the limitations or uh, some word that is becoming very popular now that wasn't then the self-limiting beliefs, right? And uh, that that is what was bleeding edge that you mentioned because this was 2015. Uh, no one was talking about having any kind of looking at self-limiting beliefs at work. Um, they were not even talking about mental health period, right? And, uh, you know, I introduced the concept not necessarily as mental health, but more like start looking at the limiting beliefs in, um, in conjunction with the key points of uh, executive leadership. And so I, I took an executive leadership course at uh, UC Berkeley. Um, and, you know, I combined both concepts, right? When you look at the seven leverages, uh, six leverages of the UC Berkeley program, it highlights that the best leaders are the ones that are coaches and are visionaries, right? And so why not combine that mentality from the get-go to all the managers and instead of, you know, allowing them to be coercive or allowing them to be uh, affiliative, you know, just teach them what is the good thing to do and combine it with this other concepts of ego and self-limiting beliefs and have them understand that we all have egos. We have this impression that, you know, a person that has an ego is like the ones that are grandiose, right? But the explanation of what ego is allows you to see, oh, we all have it. And most of us don't have it under control, <laughs> right? right? And so if we can center it, we can be just so much more effective and be able to see how we are showing up. Most of the time we are unaware of that and that creates a level of awareness, right? And so um, it was bleeding edge because a lot of people in 2015 felt those concepts belong in therapy. And, um, you know, and I did have some comments of people say, well, this is more like therapy. And in some cases, it was a positive, you know, a very positive in the majority of cases and the occasional uh, maybe not so receptive to it because they uh, felt like work was work and, you know, other parts of life were other parts of life. But I feel like that's where the employer uh, needs to become responsible, a little bit more responsible, right? Because we spend most of our day at work. We spend most of our day with those people at work. And the people, the time that we spend with our own families is very little, right? So if we can learn these concepts at work without having to make an extra appointment to go to a therapist, and I'm not saying tell me your problems, I'm just saying here are some concepts that will help you manage yourself, right? And so you can take those concepts home, have a better 5 you know, p.m. to 8 a.m., and then show up at work as your best self because you know if you're happy at home what's your effect gonna be when you get to work you're gonna want to have a good day in order to have the cycle continue right, right. and you know i think there is a, a mis misalignment right now of an employer understanding that if they do that actually the result for the employer will be better 
-hmm. you know, Richard Branson says, right, you have happy employees, you're going to have outstanding results. And that's what we saw talking rain, you know, the engagement level ending in 2020, consider the 2020 being a pandemic year was 86%, which is 86% is unheard of, you know, companies, in fact, just to prepare for this, I was doing some research on engagement and I was reading that truly engaged employees and average in a company are 15%. So wow. think about all the millions of dollars that are being left out there because the employers haven't tapped into this um, concept. And right. so back to the bleeding age, right? Who's teaching the concept? You know, I, I noticed another pattern. We have MBAs, PhDs that work at Talking Rain, very educated and talented people, uh, interview people from, you know, university graduates from Harvard and stuff. Every leadership program out there, every MBA program out there tells you that the keys to being a great leader are to be genuine, to be authentic, to have your values, yet no one knows how to do that. You know, they're not teaching the class on how to be genuine and authentic because they leave that to therapy, right? right. And, and, you know, the self-discovery is, is intense. You know, I had to go through an intense process to kind of shed the parts that I didn't want with me anymore that were no longer serving me, where you're valuable at some point, but where did not longer have a purpose. And it takes a little bit more uh, work and dedication to be able to discover what that is, right? Universities are not teaching it. I think after the pandemic and all the social media, you know, I've seen some changes towards it. We're starting to parent differently. We are starting to um, have maybe more uh, positive information that the previous generations had in order to parent better. But at the end of the day, you know, you'll go through that school cycle and then it becomes the responsibility of the employer <laughs> to make sure that, you know, we're being our best, right? And, right. you know, is it the responsibility of the employer? In one level, yes, but in another level, is the responsibility of the employer to teach the employee that they can be self-led. And that's going to be the most service to them than anything, right? Um, you know, in a culture of service. So I am here as your manager to serve you. The best thing that I can teach you is to be self-led, right. right? And hopefully that will serve you in a way that will make your tenure and my company the best possible. But when you leave or, you know, whenever you go, wherever you go, you're going to take that with you. That's never going to leave you. Which I think is you know, a powerful concept for employers to really embrace that, you know, you might help someone become this better version of themselves and, you know, they take that with them. But that being said, you know, how wonderful is it that, you know, an organization can have such impact on people that when they do leave, they take these things that have been, you know, built and ingrained somewhere else and probably carry a certain level of loyalty and affection for that organization for the things they've learned. I mean, it's a different way to think of a company legacy, really, I think. Yeah, you know, and in this day and age, talent 
I, I believe talent, uh, the talent war or the talent, uh, you know, achieving the best talent for your organization is going to become difficult again, right? Prior to the pandemic, we were going into this fierce uh, fight for talent. And I think we're kind of entering the door now again as the economy starts to reopen of how do we, you know, get the best talent out there, the, which you know, leads to this being even more important because your experience here is going to have value. You may go somewhere else, but hopefully you're going to come back and bring whatever you learn and this other organization with us. You know, we we ran uh, what you, we used to call boomerang campaigns because we had employees that left, you know, when, you know, for whatever reason, maybe we didn't have the role for the for the next growth point for them. So they will go and get it somewhere else, but always wanting to come back to Talking Rain. And, yeah. you know, why would you not want that, right? Why would you not want em employees that are going to be your ambassadors when, not, when they're not there? Why would you not want employees that, you know, through uh, sharing what their experience is with others, um, others want to work with you and say, you know, say like, where do you work? My company doesn't do that. That was a comment that we received very often, you know, where employees would say, oh, I was sharing with my friend, you know, that we were doing this and that. And uh, they would say, my company doesn't do that. Can I work for with you? But yeah, you know, that's an optimal recruiting program. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, there are two things that come out of what you've shared that I just want to call out one is I love this concept that you've talked about, you know, having a toolbox and we don't necessarily always have the tools we need when a tragedy happens, when a pandemic occurs, but it's incredibly hopeful and optimistic to encourage people that just because you don't have the tools today doesn't mean you can't find them doesn't mean you can't develop them and in some cases develop them quite quickly with the right support and you know the right access to information um, to help change your mindset mm -hmm. the second thing and you know I kind of laughed when you said it but it was this idea that you know people would say you know let's leave work as work and then outside work. And this, the last, you know, 12, 13 months at this point have completely blown that out of the water. You know, if in 2015, there could have been this looking glass down into the future, it could have shown you just really how almost prophetic this, um, this course and this idea of self-leadership was really going to be something that would create almost a lifeboat for people as they were navigating this thing between work and home that so many of us have just seen those lines don't even, you know, they don't even appear anymore. So when it comes to the actual, how do you teach people or how did you start teaching people these concepts? There were a couple of things that you initially, when you and I were talking, you were sharing, you know, you 
used classes, and you also made some really important changes to your benefits, again, at a time when people weren't talking about it. So would you share with us a little bit about what those classes look like and how your benefits connected into it? Yes, you know, uh, going back to the hypos, right? I wanted to implement something that would help the hypos, but also that would give opportunity to others to see, you know, why is the hypo hypo, right? And so in thinking about what would be the best effective way to do that and how do we connect the company? That was another thing. I noticed there were a lot of silos, a very common word at the time. There's, you know, the company is great, but there are silos. Their company is great, but there are silos. So in that end, um, what I did is grab people from every department, right? So instead of saying it's a class for managers or it's a class for directors or it's a class for BPs, um, it was a class for, in the, you know, I, I sat and um, it was intentional about who attended the class, right? So there had to be a VP, there had to be a director, there had to be a manager, a, a senior manager, you know, and they all had to be from different uh, departments and there had to be a mixture of female and male and hopefully ethnicities if we were, you know, diverse enough and, and which for the most part we were. And, um, so that was kind of the initial concept, right? Bring this, help them, help them to realize that they were in a course that was ambiguous. So it was also teaching ambiguity. At the time, there was a lot of data that the millennials and the next generation coming had been so structured that what they needed to learn was ambiguity, right? So this class didn't have a formal, um, curriculum you know we i did we we did not hand them a curriculum we did not hand them anything other than you have a choice to attend so it was very you decide and it is this from this day to this hour and the concepts are going to be based on the six leverages of leadership from uc berkeley as well as this other concepts of self-limiting beliefs you know and um and an internal development in addition to um harbor business review articles which was the best part you know all the information is out there for free i don't know what is why it limits us now today to develop ourselves right so i use a combination of ted talks um you know harbor business review articles and of course i am an avid reader so whatever book you know i i was reading at the time i leveraged to emphasize the concepts as well uh, but that was kind of like what created the center of the program, right? Those those uh, groups that were very, the first class was 16 people that came from every end of the company, from, you know, managers of big groups to individual contributors, female, male, like, as I said. And so as the program expanded and I could see, you know, the difference, I also started to think, why are we not leveraging our benefits, right? We pay you know, we, we were paying for mental health, there was a deductible, you know, and but hardly anybody used the service, right? I had to use it because of my tragedy. I knew a few people within the company that were constant users of the um, therapy benefit, because they had had tragedies themselves. And you could see the difference in their demeanor, their attitude, right? They had learned the tools now to kind of get themselves through the day in a positive way. And so 
when you start asking why do you not use the benefit you know there was always the copay right well there is the copay or is it it's very hard to find a uh, therapist that matches you and so we eliminated the copay so a hundred percent pay within the classes we also had people that were using the therapist come and say i use a therapist and so as the leaders started to say i use a therapist it be it no longer was a taboo in the organization. In fact, it became a situation of the smartest people in the company used the therapy benefit, right? And then we went as far as um, engaging with Bannister because then they would help you find a therapist instead of you. You know, I had to go through seven therapists to one that was effective. And that, that in itself was a painful process, right? You have to tell your story seven times right. imagine and then uh, finally find someone that actually matches with you so we engage the service who you know would take an intake with you and then go and find someone that would be closely matched with you and for what i heard you know i i already had my therapist but i heard many people in the organization found good therapists through the service yeah. And I think it's a, a simple and powerful piece that every organization and every person could really learn from and take an active part in helping to reduce and eliminate stigma that's attached to getting mental health care. You know, it's it seems like, especially today, that we would maybe be a little more advanced. And I think we have, I think there's progress there, but Definitely still, um, you know, pockets of, of people, whether it's based on gender or other demographics where people are really uncomfortable with that. And, you know, why wait for a tragedy to, you know, build out your toolbox if you have resources through your employer that could help you do that so that, you know, living your day-to-day -day life is a, is a more empowering and and lovely experience. You know, the other part that was influencing for me is as you strategize for reducing costs, right? So this is also another impactful part. The stronger mentally that I am, the less health problems I'm gonna have, period. Yeah. You know, and, and the benefit cost is one of the highest expenses in an HR department, right? You. I mean, the cost of a premium for per employee is huge and getting more, right? And when you right. start looking at the types of drugs or the types of problems that people have, you realize that many can be eliminated simply by if I'm mentally strong enough, I'm going to be able to exercise. I'm going to be able to eat better. I'm going to be, if I, you know, check with myself, if I'm able to check with myself, I'm not going to eat that extra cookie today, but you know, my emotional self is going to be uh, addressed, right? And so we are unconscious of all the things that we do that end up hurting us. But if we bring that to the conscious level, all of the sudden, you know, those expenses go away, you know, yeah. and, and that's a benefit for the employer. Absolutely. And that actually, you know, brings to mind for me when I had my own process of self-discovery and building out my toolbox to work through life's challenges and, and tragedies. Um, I went through a time period of going to the gym and getting a trainer to help me 
you know, most effectively learn how to work out correctly and come up with a routine that was going to deliver results. And, you know, we're so, I, I guess, more prone to maybe doing something like that first than getting a therapist. But the amazing thing was in doing that and working out with a trainer, it really helped to expose some of those places in me that um, where you know, even though my body was getting stronger in some ways, my mind wasn't really keeping up. So it was an interesting sort of evolution to think that, you know, I was only going to get stronger physically and yet really see where I needed to develop mentally. But it was, you know, overall an incredible experience too of finding my own therapist because I just thought, you know, I really want, I want a strong mind, strong body, strong spirit. And I think those three things, you know, really have to work together and, you know, the makings of building a happy life, both at work and at home. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, we're in this country where we're fortunate to have all of that, you know, yes. at the tip of our fingers, employers that offer, offer great benefits, you know, homes, that are in good shape. We are so blessed already, you know, why not just take it so that we can become better and then deliver more to the people that are, don't have those benefits. Yeah, T learning and, and really not taking it for granted and passing it along. And you made a comment when we were preparing for this and I don't want to steal your, you know, your, especially some of these brilliant thoughts and ideas, but it ties into this idea of the pebble that you shared. Would you share that with our listeners? Yeah. And so, you know, part of what I noticed also in terms of um, employee development, right? It, organization spends a lot of money. And I think this is consistent throughout many organizations developing the CEO. And sometimes the CEO spends some time, some money developing the, you know, people that report to him or her and with the hopes that things will trickle down, <laughs> right? And uh, unfortunately, it doesn't happen that way. I realized that we would send people to classes, you send people to conferences, you spend a lot of money flying people all over the place and paying hotel stays for these amazing conferences. And what gets back to you is a fraction of what's shared at the conference and what gets implemented is a fraction of that fraction, right? And so how do we um, change the dynamic? And this is where the thought was that what if instead you start teaching from the middle, you know, throw the pebble in the water and have the ripple effect out there. And instead of having the CEO go through the special trainings, we're going to develop this middle level and then ask them to develop their direct report, you know, down and up, as well as a couple of key peers. That was, that's what created an exponential change very, very fast because all of a sudden, instead of you, banking on that BP or direct report, you know, a director to pass something down the line, which they never had time to do, you know, now it was starting from the middle and it was the middle that was educating everyone across the company, which is the, you know, the widest part of the organization, right? And so that was very, um, 
accepted by, you know, I guess happily accepted by the organization because were opportunities that otherwise they hadn't seen before, right? Everything started with, you know, the top level. Um, again, a talking rain, the top level is backwards. It's a company of service. So it starts from the bottom up and, and, um, and that's my mindset, right? Is we're there to serve, um, you know, and have the best interest in mind of the other person. But in the same token, the pebble, you know, my hope uh, by doing this, and let's say by staying in the bleeding edge, even when people are not, you know, being so approving of it, is that if you were able to change, you know, one person in the company, there happens more change. But if you're able to change a company, maybe the next company can change. And maybe at some point there could be, you know, a bigger movement into realizing that it is the employer that has the power. We've seen it today. It is the employer that has the power to change the um, dynamics of the world. I also really love how this initiative and, you know, I hesitate to call it a project again because it was such a long term investment that you made and that your organization made you know, to take this on, but I love that it's full of so much heart and yet it was also measurable because you could look at things like you talked about the engagement rate changing among your employees. You could probably see some claims data to at least know if people were using mental health care benefits, um, you talked a little bit about the turnover too, and how that was different, especially in this um, CPG industry that you were in. So, but some of the other things that were noticeable that you had mentioned too, you could see relationships changing in the organization. You could see people um, having different kinds of conversations too. Um, so I think it's a really, I think an exciting sort of opportunity for employers to consider now, because I think the timing as we talk about this now, every employer that I talk with or, you know, that's on social media or asking questions, it's this idea of how do we help people as we you know, return to the office, or maybe we've not left, you know, our workplaces, they've been essential working all along. There is such a different kind of recognition about the kind of help that people and their families need. And, you know, maybe plugging in one specific vendor or, you know, one widget from over here, maybe isn't the answer maybe part of this great answer is really some of these things that you're talking about and really connecting with your people in a totally different way that maybe you haven't ever considered or thought of. But if you want to affect some incredible change, seems like a really wonderful opportunity to consider. No, it was, uh... I didn't see it as an initiative. I saw it as culture change, right? It, and and also I saw it at the time as a as a path that takes time, 
Right. It takes seven years to change a culture. You know, if you come mm -hmm. into an area and you want to really transform the organization, there's data that says it takes seven years. So how do you accelerate that change and how do you make it sustainable? Right. And yes, relationships change. And um, amazingly, the, you know, I, I always draw, drew joy when people would say words like, oh, you know what? My ego got on the way mm -hmm. and they would joke about how their ego had you know maybe damaged something because they came to the realization that it was them right there was no one doing it to them it was their own uh selves getting on the in the way that it's amazing to achieve right and yeah. as you know in the other end in terms of the cost of making a culture change, I think we have a huge misperception of what it takes to do, because the reality is it's not costly. You know, the, the Dalai Lama says, if you taught the five-year-olds of today how to meditate, in one generation, you will end all wars in the world. So think about that. How expensive is it to meditate? It's not, it's not at all, right? It's and you can do it from anywhere. Yeah, you can do it from anywhere, and, you know, and okay, maybe it might take you, you know, a few free videos out there to learn how to do it. You don't have to buy Headspace. It's really easy to use Headspace, which is another benefit that Talking Rain, that we added at Talking Rain. But um, it is just this realization that something needs to drastically and dramatically change on how we're doing things. We have to be conscious become conscious and intentional about our actions in order to really see the world change, you know, and think about more than uh, just the bottom line. And I'm not saying at all that the bottom line is not important. It's what pay gives the paycheck. But when you start thinking about this dynamic, actually the bottom line benefits, right? Because everyone gets engaged and going back to, you know, you have one person that's engaged, they deliver a certain percentage, you have two people that are totally engaged that deliver the same as three people. Mm -hmm. So instead of having 600 employees, now you can have 400 employees that are happy that you can pay, you know, good competitive wages to, and that they are going to go happy and share that with their families and their basic needs will be met, but more than their basic needs will be met, right? The real needs of a human will be met. Mm. That's good. So looking back on this changing of, of culture and, you know, if you wanted to even look at it from the lens of, you know, your last 23 years um, in this organization building and changing, what would you do differently? You know, if you had the luxury of rolling back the clock, what would, what would be different? Uh <laughs> That's amazing, right? I, well, in the first place, I'd probably say be softer with myself um, and maybe faster to look at myself, right? It's, it's uh, we resist a lot to see who we are. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so I would say that's probably something that I, if I could have the benefit, you know, um, I would do. But without having that benefit, uh, you know, I, if I had to do it all over again, uh, probably would be the, 
the biggest answer is probably to engage more with the CEO at the time of the initial project. Um, you know, at the time when I did it at Talking Rain, I was doing it with Ascend HR Pro program and development. I felt like the CEO at the time um, was too busy, right? So we didn't have too many conversations about advancing the program more and faster. It advanced and he saw it, uh, saw that it was making an impact, but I think it could have been faster if I had maybe sat down and shared more of my vision with him. So I think that would be a little bit um, something that if I had to do it all over again, I would start with the CEO first. Uh, ultimately now, right at the you know, I don't know if I could do it the same way at the time. Now I have track record, right? right. I have results to say this is how it works and this is what we can change. This is what didn't work. At the time, it was really let's try this, right? And right. and I was very fortunate to work in an organization where trying something new that was different was acceptable. And so, you know, you didn't have any major um, barriers to making a change or adapting to something. So now that, you know, you mentioned that your time at Talking Rain wrapped up at the end of 2020, what is your next chapter? Uh, great question. I love working there. I learned a lot. Um, I worked at two other organizations um, here in the U.S. before. I'm from Guatemala. Um, so I also have experiences from Guatemala that I, you know, bring to any organization that would want to, um, you know, implement this kind of programs uh, in there. So I am looking for a new role kind of along the same level of um, VP of HR or CHRO. But at the same time, I also, you know, want to expand my own um initiative of bringing this to people that otherwise would not have it right mm -hmm. the people at talking rain were very fortunate that talking rain invested and offered that as i said most organizations offer that to their executive levels so i am starting an organization be remarkable by design uh, that will offer opportunities to any manager or individual contributor that wants to self-develop, you know, and understand what it takes to get to the next level. I am offering packages for individuals. I'm offering packages for teams, maybe small companies that can, you know, send a executive to a big program. They can send a team to uh to me and i will help him in that and at the same time also individually so i work with individuals you know i started with friends of mine that shared their problems and because i've had so many experiences i was able to provide some insight and so they started to consistently come and see me so i also in the same way that you see in a company you know the company the team the individual you see the same dynamic outside the family, <laughs> you know, the um, mother or the father or the individual, right? The family, the couple or the children. And so I'm also working with families and individuals and families, depending on what, you know, they desire to improve. But I am really of the mindset of the Dalai Lama is we can transform 
our country, we can transform the world, we can transform ourselves uh, by looking into ourselves and that and investing in ourselves, right? We it's funny how we go and buy so many things, like even a pedicure, you know, yes, that is self-care. But if you just spend that same amount of money in addressing some issue, you know, you could have million pedicures later that you will totally enjoy and not worry about anything else. Yes. I love that you have, you have become your own pebble with your own ripples and you are brave enough to offer those experiences to some others. Um, so what's the best way for people who listen to this and really want to understand more and maybe, you know, maybe consider some of this for their own personal development? What's the best way to contact you? So the name of the organization is going to be Be Remarkable by Design. And so www.beremarkablebydesign.com. And then we're, you know, starting our social media as well under that same name. And you can contact me at vpage at theremarkablyyou.com as well. Of course, the best way to get a hold of me will be LinkedIn, you know, Vivian Page, LinkedIn, and uh, you send us a message there and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. That is wonderful. And we'll include that contact information too in our show notes for this episode. I have thoroughly enjoyed Vivian, you know, getting to know you and hearing about your vision and the things that you're passionate about and uh, all of the heart that it takes to really reach and develop people. So I anticipate that people will listen to this and be really inspired to do something themselves, whether it's at home or in their workplace and uh, thus the ripples extend further. So thank you for joining me on this episode of Wednesdays at the Well.